Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. All right. So church, we're getting ready to start homerooms this week, right? Is it this week? Homerooms begin this week. Come on, we can get excited about that. And so, as you guys know, we're going to, as you guys meet in your homes, in your, in your tribes, in the places, in the residences you guys are going to meet, meet up in, the conversations of what you guys are going to, or where you guys are going to um, uh, fellowship around the table is going to be based upon the word that you get on Sunday. So I want to make sure that our, our, the word on Sundays are going to be meaty enough for you to continue to have these conversations when you gather, all right? So each week we're going to have a specific focus, and I, I really felt like, well, God, what do I want our church to talk about when they meet in home, from house to house? And the Lord just began to, he led me back to Acts chapter 2, where the um, early church, when they started out, the Bible says that they, four, they did four things together which is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to prayer, fellowship, and breaking bread. And so I, I want to start off these first four weeks talking about each of those four things. All right? And what I want to do is, is we're going to call this, I guess you can call this like some home training. All right? <laughs> because the, the, what the, each of those points are going to be disciplines in which I want to raise the value of in our hearts and in our eyes, that I want to raise the value of, of, of sound teaching. I want to raise the value of prayer. I want to raise the value of breaking bread and fellowship, all right? And I want to restore because I really believe um, that those four things give us a blueprint of a divine order as to how God wants his church to be governed. Everybody say divine order divine order God wants us to live under his divine order his divine rule and um, along with that divine order means that there is a right way of doing things and there's a wrong way of doing things and when we get busy doing things the wrong way we end up getting wrong results all right and um, I believe that when when a church commits to God's divine order as to how he wants things to be done. Not according to traditions, but according to revelation and according to that which has already been established for us, according to what has been written. Uh, we will begin to see new experiences, fresh encounters beginning to resurface in our churches. Amen. So I want to start off with prayer. I want to start off with prayer. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And it was so, uh, I said I want to jump off of where Nadine stopped because Nadine talked about how the Spirit of God led her to a place where she felt the need to come back to the basics. Come back to the basics. To get back to the discipline. Of prayer and one of the things I talked about as we are dreaming again with God that God needs us to be disciplined dreamers and and dreamers that are disciplined that if we, we no one can you will never be able to see a dream manifest in your life without discipline that you're gonna know you're going to need to be disciplined in your life and because the dreams that we're dreaming this time around are dreams that God is going to give us or God has already given us, it's important that we have to go, we got to learn that we're going to have to go through God to see these dreams realized, actualized, and manifested. And, then, and that means that we're going to have to get closer to Jesus. It means we're going to have to get close to God. In fact, that is what God is more concerned about. Not just your dream manifesting but your, your relationship to God increasing as a result. I was talking to somebody at the juice bar this week, 
And he talked about how uh, six months ago he left his job to, do, to pursue his, his full-time career in photography. And his, he's been talking about how, things, how well things have been going this year and how it literally took him being forced off of his job when for years people have, were telling him that he, he needs to leave his job and just go full, full force in what, um, the, with the gift and the calling that he had. But it took his job. Um, firing him before he actually went out and did it full time. But he said since he stepped out and has been doing what God, what he knew God put in his heart to do, he said he's never been as close to God now than he's ever been in his life. He said because now that he's not working for anyone else, God literally has to be his source. He literally has to look to God every day and pray and wait for God to open up opportunities and create avenues for him to be able to get work. And he said, not only has he not ever missed a bill, not only has he never went a day without not having food to eat, but he said he's now in surplus and he has more money saved than he's ever had in his life. Oh, come on. So not only is he, is he walking in a new level of success, but he also feels closer to God than he's ever had in his life. That's called good success. <laughs> the Bible talks about having good success because there is also bad success. When God told Joshua, meditate on my word day and night, and I will give you good success. Amen. And I want good success. Anybody else? I want good success. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Nadine said, I got, I've been getting closer to God. I've been waking up, and I've just been praying and spending time with, with God by myself. And as a result of that, things have been accelerating in my life. Watch this, verse 5. Here's Jesus teaching about prayer. And when you pray, everybody say when. Not if, but when you pray. Prayer is not an option. When you pray, <laughs> you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues. So watch this. When Jesus begins to teach about prayer, he references hypocrites. And so one of the things you need to know about hypocrisy is that hypocrisy is the mask of religion. Write that down. Hypocrisy is the mask of of religion. Hypocrisy. If you've heard me uh, touch on this before, hypocrite in the, is, the, in, is the Greek word actor. An actor. So when Jesus said you shouldn't be a hypocrite, they knew what he was, he was referring to. We call hypocrites today people who say one thing and then do another thing. We call it their double, their double talk, or they, they, they act one way in front of you and act another way somewhere else, right? Hypocrites are fake, or, or fakes, or phonies. They lack authenticity because you don't know the real them. And when um, in Greek culture, hypocrites... Um, with the actors, they were, they were the type of actors that when they had Greek, when they had uh, stage plays, the actors would play two different roles where in one role, if they were one character, their face was naked. But when they played the other role, they had a mask that they held behind their back and they would put the mask on their face when they were acting as the second character. And that's where the term two-faced come from. So when, 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 when Jesus says, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite, he says that prayer is something that requires us to not be fake about, not be superficial about, but to come to God in a, with our real feelings, our real emotions. And the reason why religiosity and hypocrisy go together is because if you don't know God the right way, 
If you believe that God is an uptight, short-tempered, mean God, you can't go to him real. Because the fear of being punished or judged will get in the way. If you're not living holy enough or righteous enough according to your eyes, you feel the need to present to God another side of you. Your holy side. So I got, a, I got my saved side, the side of me that's in Christ, and then I got the side of me where nobody else is looking. This is who I really am. People will say it. I'll put down my Christianity and give you a piece of my mind. So I can say what I really want to say. So what you really want to say is really who you are. So you got a mask on when you come to church. You got a mask on when you're around your Christian brothers and sisters. What Jesus wants to see is the real you. Even if that real you is not all polished. Even if that real you still has some hang-ups and still has some issues, that's the you that Jesus wants to see in prayer. <laughs> but I find it astonishing that Jesus immediately connects prayer to hypocrisy. Because many of us, we're hypocrites when we pray. I'm going to show you why. And it's not your fault. It's because of bad religion, bad religious teachings. Look at what Jesus says. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in this secret place. You see, it's amazing because he, Jesus says in the corners is a place where everybody can see you. How many of you know it's really hard to be yourself when all eyes are on you? It's really hard to be yourself when, everybody, when you're around people. On the contrary, when you're with your, the people that are closest to you, or the people that, that you really trust, then you can kind of be yourself. But when you have a bunch of strangers looking at you, you're not really yourself because you're thinking about how other people are thinking about you. And so you have to kind of pre present a facade of some sort. You let your representative show up, and you let people see that side of you. But the real you is the you when no one else is looking. So in this secret place, when no one else sees you but God, God says, I want, an, I want you to spend time with me in secret. And this is the, one of the ways you breed authenticity in your life. When you learn how to, when you learn how to just simply be accepted by God for who you are. When you go back out in front of people, when you go back out in, in the open, you can care less about what other people think about you because God accepts me the way that I am. God loves me the way that I am. And I don't need your approval of me in order to feel validated. So authenticity is the opposite of hypocrisy. God needs us to learn to live authentically. Honestly. Humbly. The only way you can truly get to that place is through grace. Because the opposite of grace, the opposite of undeserved favor is earned favor. Deserved favor. That means that, I, that, means that there's something I must do to get your like and your approval of me. And the minute I get into the habit of trying, if I have to work to prove 
something to you or to someone else in order to become accepted or validated, then I'm no longer being myself because I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for you. So when we start teaching about grace, when people hear about grace, the common misconception is that grace gives people the license to sin. Or grace gives people the license to be lazy. Because if you're telling me that Jesus did all the work for me to be blessed, and Jesus already did all the work for me to be saved, that there's nothing that I got to do to earn my salvation or to earn my seat in heaven, and that my salvation is already a done deal, it's already a finished work. If I teach that, then that means, well, why do I have to live holy then? Why do I got to live a clean life? Or a pure life or a holy life if I'm already going to, if I'm already going to heaven not based on my works but because of Jesus if you were here a few weeks or it was about a week or two ago Apostle Barnes was here touching on the same thing on a Tuesday very powerful teaching and one of the things Apostle Barnes said was that because many people have heard the gospel preached not from a pure grace standpoint but mixed with law and works we enter into the kingdom believing that I need to stay saved through my works. That I know I, I believe and accept Jesus and get saved, but I got to keep doing work to be saved. And so he said, if you enter in the wrong way, it's impossible for you to remain the right way. If I come in already with, because faith comes by hearing, so if I've heard that my dressing and my, my behavior is what's keeping me. Then it's impossible for me to ever grow up in the things of God the right way. Because I'm not doing it based on grace. I'm thinking that my behavior is what's going to save me. Not Jesus. So watch this. So pe when people hear about grace, for example, in giving... And we tell you that you don't have to tithe to be blessed. That if you came from a legalistic background, the basis of you being blessed is tithing. Grace says the basis of you being blessed is Jesus. That Jesus was cursed on the cross because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He was cursed so that the blessing of Abraham can come upon you. Freely you have received, so freely you can give. So if I haven't, if, if I, depending on how I receive a thing determines how I'll give it. If I had to work to receive something, then that means you're going to have to work before I can give it to you. If I have to work for my blessing, you got to work for the blessing so I can give a blessing to you. How you receive something determines how you'll give it. If you had to tarry for the Holy Ghost, that means I'm not just going to lay hands on you so you can get filled. You're going to have to tarry too because that's how I got filled. How you receive determines how you'll give. Jesus said in Matthew 10, freely you receive, freely you give. So if you don't receive freely, you won't give freely. That's why you got stingy Christians. you got selfish Christians, overprotective Christians. They don't live generous lives because that's not how they believe they've received. <laughs> I had to bend God's arms to bless me. I had to wrestle with God for this breakthrough, for this anointing. <laughs> so watch this we don't we, we don't tithe or give to get blessed Jesus died on the cross so I can be blessed right so my giving is now based on a system that Jesus instituted called grace because he's given to me freely if I know that I'm blessed freely I can give freely. 
Same thing with prayer. Most times, people pray because they feel they have to pray. Or they give because they have to give. That if I don't give, I won't be blessed. So let me give. I come in and I tell you, no, you're already blessed. So your tithing is not what's going to make you blessed. Somebody hears that and says, well, I don't got to give anymore. Right? But here's what happens. What grace does, watch this, what grace does is that it removes the have-tos from your heart to expose the want-tos. Grace lifts the have-tos off of your heart so that it can expose the want-tos. You really get to see what people really want to do when you expose them to grace. So that means you never really wanted to give. You never wanted to give. You only did it because you thought that if you didn't give, you won't be blessed. That's why people think grace is a license to sin. Because when people hear grace and they really get to say, wait, I can do what I really want to do and not be judged for it. Yes. Then we really get to see what's really in people's hearts. Then we get to see the real them without the masks, without the hypocrisy. But what happens is when that happens, you actually get a chance to really see what's really in my heart now. Am I really coming to church because I love God? Or was I really just doing this because I didn't want to go to hell? <laughs> That's what grace does. <laughs> and, it, and, and it's scary now. It is scary. It is scary. <laughs> that if I've learned, if I know that there is no punishment in him, because there is no condemnation in Christ, condemnation is the expectation of punishment. So if I don't come to church two, two weeks, you mean to tell me that I'm still saved? So that means I don't have to come to church and still be saved? Yes. And if that person doesn't come back to church, then you really know what was in their heart. They never wanted to be here in the first place. So this is when the Bible talks about repenting from dead works. When we repent, it means to change directions. It means to go back. It's like it, when grace really touches your heart and you really realize what the pure grace message is, is that my, my salvation is not based on anything I do. There's not one thing I can do to add to my salvation. There's nothing I do to keep myself saved unto him who was able to keep me from falling and, and present me faultless before my God. When I realize that Jesus is the one who saves me and Jesus is the one who keeps me and all I need to do is just keep believing that he is my savior, I'm saved forever, permanently. My sins have, be, have been forgiven, have been washed away permanently past present and future he didn't just die for my past sins he died for my future sins too so when you hear that does that mean I get to go out and jump into sin again even if you wanted to you were still forgiven but what grace then says is if that's what you really want to do, that means it was really in your heart. So now that sin that you suppressed, the five years you've been in church, the ten years you've been in church, now it can get out. <laughs> and now you got to get face to face with the real you. Not the hypocritical you, not the church mask you wear, you. The you that's really going inside of your heart right now. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is why I wanted, this is one of the greatest news you can hear. Because now I really get to serve God from the heart. I really serve him from the heart now. I say all that to say, prayer. Most people pray for desired results. As a matter of fact, prayer 
meetings around the world are the least attended services in the church because it's not something that people really want to do. Only the, the, the uh, people who are really deep or really disciplined, they show up for prayer meetings because we know I don't have to pray to be saved or I don't have to pray to go to heaven. But the times when people do show up to pray is when there is an emergency or a crisis. I remember 2001, 9-11. After 9-11, prayer meetings around the country were packed. Everybody got saved. <laughs> People were in church that week for prayer meetings. There were prayer vigils, prayer vigils, prayer gatherings all around the country. And then that lasted for about three to four weeks tops. I remember going to my dad's church, the prayer meeting, and seeing all these people there. And then each week, the numbers started going back down. All right, Bin Laden, Bin Laden and them, they ain't coming back. <laughs> and churches went back to business as usual. Why? Because somewhere along the lines, we have believed the lie that the times we pray is when there is something bad happening, when there is an emergency, and when there's a crisis. Is that being real or is that being hypocritical? It's not something you really want to do. You do it because it's an emergency. <laughs> One of the things I had learned over the years was that when prayer was not something that was urgent to me, important to me, I didn't pray. And I'm talking to you about as, as, reason, as recent as this year. Whenever prayer does not remain urgent to me or important to me, I don't pray. If, I, if I'm casual about prayer, my attitude towards prayer is that I don't really got to, you know, I'm good. I know I'm saved. I know I'm, I'm living a life. I'm in the word. I don't pray as much or as often as when I believe that is an emergency that I have to pray. So... There's something that um, I think it was, who wrote that book, um, Habits of a Highly Effective Leader? <laughs> Stephen Covey, right? One of the things he talks about in his book is the uh, four quadrants of time management. Anybody ever heard that before? Mercedes, can you write this for me? Since your handwriting is better than mine. One of the things that, that he wrote in his book is that if you want to learn how to manage your time, that you should, you should fraction off your time based on these four different um, quadrants. So the first quadrant, quadrant number one, right? Urgent and important. Urgent and important. When things are urgent and important, these should be at the top of your list. These are the things you put in your calendar first. If you wanted to, uh, you wanted to prioritize your day or your week, you think about the things in your life that are the most urgent and the most important. Then you have quadrant two, which is the non-urgent and important. Things that are non-urgent and important. Then when you get to quadrant three, quadrant three, you get the things that are Urgent and non-important. Things that are urgent and non-important. And then the last quadrant, quadrant four, are things that are non-urgent and non-important. So if you ever was wondering, how do I manage my time? How do I figure out what I should do in a day or what I should do in the week? 
I think about the things in my lives that have fallen into these four different categories. And then I, the things that are urgent and important, I prioritize first above everything else. So you got something, maybe there's a, a, a credit card due today that's urgent and important. So I got to make sure I pay that. I put that on my list. There's first things first, things I got to do. I got to pay this bill. It's due today, all right? Then you have things that are non-urgent but important. Something that's non-urgent and important usually, usually fall into the category of family, relationships. Because that relationship that might be important to you, like spending time with my wife, it may not be non-urgent because I'm with her every day. I'm with her every day. I'm with my kids every day. But something that's non-urgent and important is to making sure I'm investing in my family. Investing in my wife, investing in, in my kids, all right? Something that's urgent and not important. Something that's just, again, a, 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 your tire needs to be changed, all right? That's urgent. But it's not that important, but it's urgent. And then you also have things that are non-urgent and not important. <laughs> Social media, non-urgent and not important. Updating your status today, all right? The selfie you're going to post today, all right? <laughs> so what happens is we prioritize things that are non-urgent and non-important. Stuff I schedule up, spend time, and too much time doing the things that are non-urgent and non-important. And the things that are usually the most urgent and most important are the things that are most uncomfortable to you. The things you probably would love to push off or delay. Why do we have bills that we are over that we are late on paying and we have the money in our bank? <laughs> we actually do have the money and we're still late on paying it. <laughs> because we didn't consider that which was urgent and important. Now watch this. When it came to prayer, I had to realize that unless prayer and I'm going to help some of you. Unless prayer was to me urgent and important, I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm going to push it off and say, I'll do it later. I could pray. I could pray tonight before I go to sleep. And then the end of the day comes and you're so tired and you don't feel like praying. The most you probably get is a little 30-second prayer on your way to sleep. That you don't even remember when you went to sleep. <laughs> and I say, oh, I'll, pray to, I'll pray in the morning when I wake up. And then we wake up and we realize, oh, man, I'm late. I got to get to work. All right? Hey, it happens to all of us. But unless, what, when something is urgent and important, you literally have to create uh, uh, like these blockages in your own life that you say, I'm not going to get past this until I do this. You have to literally get up and say, I'm motivated and I'm dedicated to spend time with God today. I'm going to spend half hour with God. I'm going to spend half hour. I'm going to spend 15 minutes. I'm going to spend an hour with God. I make it urgent and important. Look what the Bible says all throughout scriptures. There's, there's so many scriptures uh, in which, which the Bible shows us this. For example, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus said, that, that Jesus shared, he said, and he spoke a parable to, to them that men always ought to pray and never lose heart. Men ought to always pray. That was what Jesus said. I love Matthew 26 when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was getting ready to go to the cross and he spent time with his disciples and asked them, come and pray with me. And one of the things he said was, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Watch and pray unless temptation comes over you. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Know that your spirit is always willing to pray. 
Your spirit is always willing to obey God. Your spirit is always willing to read the word. It's just your flesh that's weak. And the only way you get your spirit to become stronger than your flesh is by spending time in prayer. That's why Jesus said, can you pray with me, pray, pray with me for at least one hour? Now, how often do you get tempted? How often does temptation come to you? Every week? Do you get tempted once a week? Once a month? No, come on, don't be hypocrites. Somebody said every minute. <laughs> but at least we, we know that temptation comes every day. So if temptation comes to you every day, and the Bible says, Jesus said, pray and watch that you may not enter into temptations. Then that means we must also pray every day at least. Because if I'm weak in prayer, I'm going to be weak to temptations. Jesus said, my house shall be called a what? A house of what? prayer my house needs to be known for prayer and I know he was talking about the temple he was talking about the corporate house but I also need to realize that you are a house of God that you literally are a house of God and one thing God wants his people to be known as is that we are people of prayer if if prayer is my identity and prayer is what I live from because it's a house I gotta live from prayer I got to live out of prayer. All of my decisions should be out of prayer. Come on. I'm a house of prayer. I live in prayer. I live from prayer. You don't live in, you go to your house every day. Jesus said, you are a house of prayer. If a church fails to pray, they have failed. If a church fails to pray, it has already failed. A church that will succeed is a church that prays. Come on. The one thing Jesus will say, a house or a church will be successful and it must be in prayer. So there's a reason why the devil will do all that he can to make prayer meetings the least attended gatherings in churches all around the world. We learn in Acts chapter 1 that the church was actually birthed in a prayer meeting. The day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers, it was in a prayer meeting. The church was birthed in a prayer meeting. The potential of a church to impact its city will be only unlocked and unleashed in prayer. The Spirit was poured out on those who prayed, who gathered together to pray. Come on, we need to raise the value level in our hearts for prayer. I'm telling you, if you look at the churches that have the most impact, the most significant impact in the world, you can look at their churches and see that the people have learned to value prayer. Look at weak churches, they don't pray. And if they pray, they pray amiss. They don't know how to pray. That's why we got to repent from dead works. Because if your prayers are not working, don't blame prayer. It's like, like when I go back to giving. People say, well, I give and I tithe and nothing happens to me. I tithe and I don't see nothing, pastor. Nothing, it doesn't work for me. But then the person in the same row tithes. And she just keeps seeing breakthrough and blessings and miracles. Like how come she's giving and I'm giving and my giving is dead and her giving, the windows of heaven are opened. Blessings are overflowing. We can't blame tithing. <laughs> you can't blame tithing if somebody else is tithing and seeing the blessings. Uh-oh. 
You can't blame prayer and say prayer doesn't work. I prayed and nothing happened. When people are praying and they're seeing enormous results in their prayers. It's not the prayer we need to blame. But if, we having, if we're having dead works or the things that we are saying that God tells us to do is not working in our lives, maybe we need to repent. Maybe there's something that we're missing. And I can tell you what that thing is that's missing. Because the difference between a dead work and a living work, a dead work and a good work, is that a dead work is usually done. It's the same work. It's, the, it's usually the same work. But the difference is the heart. I'm giving from my heart. I'm not giving because I believe that I'm not going to be blessed. I'm giving because I want to give. <laughs> I'm praying because I want to pray. I'm not praying because my grandmother used to beat me over the head and said, if I don't pray, jumbie and demons and all types of stuff is going to jump out on me. Y'all know about jumbies. Shanique is looking around. Who's that? <laughs> All right, I got seven minutes. But the reason why it seems like some things are not working and other things are working is because what makes things work is that when we do it from the heart, God is a heart God. God looks at the heart. The Pharisees saw no results because what they did, they did it not out of a want to. They did it out of form and fashion. And they wanted people to celebrate them for what they did. Now watch this. I gotta, I'm going to wrap up right here in Matthew 6. Hallelujah. Matthew 6. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. So in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Now when I read that, the Holy Spirit stopped me right there. He said, look at the word us. This wasn't a personal prayer. Look at what he started off with. Our Father. Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus always intended that prayer would not just be a solo individual thing, but that prayer would be a corporate thing. It's something that we will do together, that we will pray together, that we will gather and come together and meet together, whether inside of our churches or whether in our homes, and then we will pray together. That's why Jesus said, if two or three come together and gather in my name, I will be in the midst. Jesus always anticipated that prayer would be a unified effort when the early church gathered together to pray for the holy ghost peter wasn't off praying by himself in a corner peter was with the rest of the believers and they all prayed on one accord for one thing that the holy spirit would come and jesus responded to their unified prayers with the reward with the answer the holy spirit came as they were on one accord and perhaps if the Bible specifies that when they were all on one accord, the Spirit came, it, it could be that Jesus was waiting for their unity before he gave them the Spirit. Because if they were not on one accord and he poured out the Spirit, there would have been disunity and discord and division amongst them. But when they finally got on one accord and moved as one, then God poured out his Spirit. It took them 14 days. To get on one accord. <laughs> Say there is power in praying together. 
That's what I want to do. I want to raise the value in your heart to know there's some things that you're probably praying about right now by yourself that you need to call somebody, your brother and sister, when you get two or three or four or five of us together and say, we're going to pray on this thing together. We're going to pray on one accord and we're going to pray until heaven shows up. We're going to pray until the kingdom comes. We're going to pray until we see breakthrough, until we see answered prayers. Our Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Woo. If I had time, I would have showed you another moment in Scripture when Peter was, arrest, was arrested for preaching, Acts 4. And when he, he was arrested for preaching, the Bible says that the, the, um, the, the, the uh, people told them. Matter of fact, turn with me real quick. We're going to end right there. Matthew chapter 4, verse, uh, I think, I'm, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. All right, hurry up. Acts 4, I think is around verse 24 somewhere. Our kids are having fun, I see. Is that fun? <laughs> Acts 4. The Bible says, so when they heard that they, when they heard that, they raised their voice. Oh, yeah, look at verse 23. We're going to end right here. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So what they had told them, if you read the verses prior, after Peter and uh, the apostles, some of the apostles were arrested, they told them that when you, we're going to let you go, but you cannot preach in Jesus' name. Don't preach in Jesus' name or we're going to arrest you again. So they went back home and they told, um, they told the rest of the um, disciples what happened. So, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24. So, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Watch how they prayed. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Now, how are they all praying this together at the same time? I don't know. But the Bible says they all prayed together on one accord. Maybe they had one prayer leader, but everyone joined in with that one prayer leader was praying. Next verse. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, watch this. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. <laughs> Most people pray so that God will take all their problems away. And that all the negativity around their lives will be taken away. That all the trouble around them will stop. When they prayed, after they just got arrested and threatened, that if they preach in Jesus' name again, they will be thrown in jail. And worse would happen. The church prayed and said, Lord, look at their threats and give us more boldness. To get into more trouble. <laughs> Give us more boldness to make some noise. To get our city upset. We want to be on the radar. We want a target on our back. Look at their threats and give your servants boldness that they may preach your word even more. Come on. You see, prayer is not about being reactive. It's about being proactive. Prayer is not just simply, Lord, hide me, protect me, keep me away from danger. No, there's some prayers you got to pray and say, Lord, send me into battle. 
Lord, give me boldness so that I can stand up against the wiles of the enemy. Give me an anointing to begin to go up against my Goliaths, to face my generational barriers and cycles and circumstances and say, Lord, use me, send me. I want to be the one to fight on behalf of my family. I want to be the one to stand up against the adversary because there's some things that won't change. Until I stand up and be bold. And God says, I want you to pray bold prayers. Because prayer is what brings heaven to earth. So if I stop praying, I shut off the highway of heaven, of heavenly realities from coming into my life and invading my circumstances. If I stop praying, he said, pray that your kingdom will come. If I don't pray, the kingdom won't come. If I don't pray, heaven won't come to earth. If I don't pray, there will be no miracles. If I don't pray, there will be no supernatural breakthroughs. So we need to dial our prayer volumes up in this season. Somebody lied to you and say, no, don't pray out loud because the devil might hear you. Somebody said that when I was a kid. And if you pray out loud, the devil might hear you, and then he may try to stop you. <laughs> Anybody heard that before? Keep your prayers in. Just say it in your head. A thought is not a prayer. There's some things you got to decree. Decree a thing, and it shall be established. If you don't say it out loud, it won't happen. You got to say, I will succeed. I will win. In Jesus' name, my family will be saved. My father will be saved. My mother will be healed. You pray out loud. Let hell hear you. Let the devil hear you. Come on, you got to be bold. The righteous are as bold as lions. And the prayers of the righteous avail much. So the prayers of bold, righteous sons and daughters of God avail much. They are effective. But if you pray skimpy, wimpy, phony prayers, nothing is going to happen. The devil is sitting there laughing at you. The devil is going to sit there and laugh at you. Because you're too scared, intimidated. They said, Lord, go back to that verse. Give your servants more boldness that they may speak your word. Watch this, verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So we're going to be bold about it. Because if I'm bold about it, then there's going to be evidence to go along with it. If I'm bold about who I am in Christ and what Christ says I can do, when I declare a thing, Father, I also want you to stretch your hand. Let there be miracles. Let there be signs and wonders that's going to validate that the name of Jesus is a name that we can't keep quiet about, that we can't keep silent about. But we're going to keep praying in his name and we're going to keep seeing heaven come to earth as we keep praying in that name. Whoa. So they said, we're going to pray and Father, stretch your hand. Confirm your word with miracle signs and wonders. Stretch out your hand. Let there be more healings. Let there be more miracles as we preach boldly in your name. And when they had prayed, huh? and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute, I thought that happened in Acts 2. Because there's more than one infilling. There's more than one encounters. Some of you need a new infilling. You need more boldness. Come on. You need, you, need anoint, you need a new anointing, a fresh encounter, a fresh baptism. That's why you're scared. When the power of God comes upon you, you look at cancers. And, and instead of preparing a will... You say, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. Work miracles. Work signs and wonders. Let the world know how great, how high and lifted up is the name of Jesus. Ha! 
Let the world see that there is healing in only one name. There is deliverance in one name. There is... When they prayed for God to fill them and give them more boldness, then the Spirit came and shook the house they were sitting in. Come on. God is about to shake some houses. Some houses of prayer. God is about to shake some houses and turn some houses upside down. God is getting ready to fill the house with glory. God is getting ready to turn some things around in our city. And he's going to start with the houses of prayer. Huh? He's going to start with the houses of prayer. Huh? Whoa. The Spirit of God shook the house. And they were all filled where they were sitting. Where they were all gathered together in one name. And the Bible says, and they got up and spoke the word of God with even greater boldness. Woo! That's why I said you got to pray for boldness. I want you to pray for boldness right now. Say, Lord, make me bold. Give me more courage. Ha! Huh? See, that's why the enemy comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He comes and he tries to roar because he wants to take your boldness away. He wants to keep you in fear. He wants to keep you intimidated. But the way you get new boldness is by praying. Say, God, make me bold. God, make me bold. Make us bold. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with courage. Fill us, God. Despite of my last defeat, despite of the time I prayed and nothing seemed to happen, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep pushing until something happens. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to make prayer something that's urgent, something that's important. And we're going to pray together. If I prayed by myself, this time I'm going to call two or three to gather with me. And we're going to pray until something happens. Oh, Come on, do I have any prayer warriors in the house? Do I have any prayer strategists? Do I have any prayers? Pray warriors, any house of prayers in the house? Oh, Mama Maya. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to pray that God will release a spirit of intercession, a spirit of prayer, a spirit of boldness, a spirit of might on your life. Come on, lift up your hands and catch it, catch it. Ha! Come on, get your prayer life back. Come on, get your prayer life back. Get your prayer life back. Get your prayer life back. The devil is sitting there laughing at you. He's sitting there seeing, are you going to take this hit or are you going to become violent in the spirit? For the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent are taking it back by force. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face, turn from their ways, then I will heal the land. Whoa! Come on, look at three people say, get your prayer life back. Get your prayer life back. Oh! Come on, I release a new impartation on you today. I release a new hunger in you today. I release a new hunger in you, a new passion, a new zeal, a new desire. Huh? And not only will you have a desire to pray, but you're going to see the results of your prayer life. Whoa. Say, Lord, make me hungry to pray again. Give me back a devotion, a desire, a consistency to pray without prayer heaven won't come without prayer your kingdom won't show up i pray for my family i pray for my nation i pray for my school you see the reason why prayer gets boring is when you pray for yourself because when you pray for yourself you can only pray for like two minutes how much are you going to ask for but when you start praying for all the things that need prayer in the world, you can pray for 24 hours. You can pray for days. You start praying for governments. 
And you pray for the presidents and you pray for the mayors and you start praying for your mayors and your governors and you start praying for your, for your, for your employees or your employers or your bosses and you pray for your parents and your dad and your auntie and your uncle. When you start praying, there's an endless, thing, an endless list of things to pray for. So when, when Paul said pray without ceasing, it's because there's an endless amount of things to pray for. So we need to be houses of prayer. God wants his house to be known for prayer. And if crisis is what drives you closer to Christ, then expect more crisis. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.